Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub, COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. Series four, session six, and um, we are talking about triaging respiratory illness, uh, illness and fevers in primary care. This is part two. So with donut days all week and vaccinations ramping up now in our community alongside health services, we continue our conversations about primary care models in the shadow of the pandemic. One of the most pressing non-COVID and non-vaccine related issues causing us to pause and reflect at this time is the burden of respiratory viruses circulating in our community, creating an increased burden on emergency departments around the state. We kicked off these conversations last week describing the need to balance VicDH testing guidance and recommendations, VicDH guidance around appropriate PPE use at this time, COVID safe practices in primary care and prevention of healthcare worker infections, the use of engineering and PPE controls to prevent staff illness from other viruses, the possible dangers downstream if emergency departments are overwhelmed. And we discussed our important role in primary care and respiratory assessment. With the novel vaccine rollout occurring in tandem, how are we going to adapt our models of care so as to enable appropriate triaging and face-to-face -face assessment where required? What can we learn from other practices about what works and why? What do emergency services need to understand about our system and practice constraints and capacity at this time? And what do we need to know about theirs? How can we play a role in primary care that balances our own professional and workplace needs and demands within the broader health system? Uh, such as problems like this demand. Q, let's see what we've got on the agenda. I'm Bianca Forrester. I'm a GP, as you know, and I'll be facilitating the meeting. And I'd like to acknowledge the hard work over the past 12 months of our ECHO team. Fiona Quigley, Katrina Markin, Martin, newcomer Katrina Pilbeen as well. And of course, Gemma, who's taking a well-deserved break. Zach Hollow, our now intern who does our, medic our notes every week. Um, thanks to Zach. So we've got, as you know, Kate Graham, Health Pathways Editor, um, bringing us an update. We're joined this morning by Dr. Dr. Alison Miller. She's medical officer at ED um, at Ballarat Health Service, and she's also a GP at Ballarat Medical Centre. We've got a case presentation by the team at Ballarat Medical Centre, Lee Meakin, um, Anna Glue, Kerry Archer, and Julie Shelley, um, practice manager. So, so nice to be joined by you as well, Julie. And, um, and then we're going to go to, um, we're welcoming Janine Rigby, GPLU unit um, at Ballarat Health Services, and welcome back um, to Belinda Khan for being on our panel this morning to discuss um, the case. Now I'm going to hand over to Kate Graham. Morning, everyone. Yeah, it's definitely been um, sort of something I've been focusing on a little bit this week is just how different things are to a year ago, um, particularly in that space. That So last year, we really didn't have to face any of the respiratory illnesses in combination with that COVID risk because everyone was in lockdown and we had that sort of break, um, which allowed us just to focus on COVID. Um, whereas this year has been really different so far. There are respiratory viruses everywhere. Everyone's sharing them because everyone's going out and seeing other people for the first time in a year, which is really exciting, but presents us with new challenges. Um, one of the things that has been um, talked about a little bit this week is the reduction in mask requirements in general. And we're in a pretty difficult position in primary care because we're not technically um, a health service as mandated by the um, sort of government restrictions. We are required to um, sort of use the masks as a health service um, for our staff. Um, so that means that we have to follow the PPE guidance. Um, and currently this is sort of sitting in a routine care of COVID negative patient group for most um, of general practice work, where masks should be worn by all staff in public, patient, resident facing areas, 
public shared areas and in non-clinical areas, non-public facing areas where physical distancing can't be maintained. Um, and also in this guidance, and I'll put a link up to it um, on the chat soon, is that daily attestations for staff is an absolute minimum. And the Department of Health is really encouraging everyone to keep up those screening processes because that's going to keep everyone safe. So in terms of your temperature screening, risk screening, those kind of things. Um, and this guidance covers workplace movement, student placements, all those kind of things. And it's a lot more detail and a lot clearer as to how we move from one stage to the other. And we may find that if there are future COVID outbreaks, that we're actually in different positions um, in different parts of the state. And this is going to be really a lot clearer because we've got red, or, I mean, yes, red, orange, green um, criteria. So that makes sense for me. Um, anything that makes life easier is great. So where we're not getting a lot of clarity is if we're able to mandate masks for patients. Um, and currently, as it sits, we probably aren't, but patients can be strongly encouraged to wear them. You can still have your mask signs up. However, whether you can have a no mask, no entry policy depends on a variety of legal and discrimination factors. So that's probably where you can't stop people coming in if they have an exemption um, and maybe even not otherwise. Um, but you can sort of have ways around that to make sure that people can still get health care if they're not willing to wear a mask. Um, so one of the other things that we've been working on this week is, as always, our health pathways. So the COVID vaccine health pathways, what we've done is we've updated the Victorian Specialist Information Services. They've now got a referral guide as well as a form for all referrals, and they've got their contact information on there, not only for our bar one one, um, but you're allowed to sort of refer also to your second closest um, centre or to one of the allergy-specific centres, and that guidance will be in there. Um, currently, the form only is up on Health Pathways, but the guidance document um, that is attached to the form should be uploaded there today, and that's currently not available on the Vic Department of Health website. So it's really important that you go to Health Pathways for that. Um, we've also flagged that in the National Eligibility Checker, um, there is a little error um, in it that allows 16-year-olds to be eligible for the vaccine, even though we know that currently eligibility is only for 18 plus. So just double checking with all your screening um, that you aren't accidentally getting a 16 year old through, just check that age date for the younger group who is eligible. Um, there was also information that was sent out by um, the Federal Department of Health on Friday to um, respiratory clinics, to GPs. That had an er error in the allergy information and how we manage allergies. Um, in terms of vaccination, and it did say in that guidance, all anaphylaxis um, history needs to be monitored for 30 minutes after. And that is not correct. That was an error um, in their sort of printing. They've now updated that link, and that link is available online. So don't refer to what you've been sent out as a static document. Um, only go to either the Department of Health um, website link or just keep referring to their TAGI guidance or the ASCIA guidance on this. Um, there have also been some updates to the 1B eligibility criteria this week, so that's another document to keep your eyes on. Um, no big changes there, but they've just outlined some things like family of um, quarantine workers, all that kind of stuff. So I'll hand back to you and thank you for all your time here. 
Thanks, Kate. And I just want to really, um, you know, take a moment to acknowledge all the work you've done. You know, these have been living guidelines and, you know, with what's been happening and changing, gosh, not even weekly, but daily at times, I just want to acknowledge the hard work that you've put into this. And I think we're really so lucky that um, we've had you as the, you know, state editor for Vic and Taz here with us every Thursday morning and been a real um, source of not only truth, but telling us where to go for <laughs> with all of this information and noticing those, you know, really those tiny details um, but that are, that are really significant and make a difference to the way we all practice and making sure that they're um, accurate and up to date. So thanks to you, Kate. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> all right. All right. I'd like to now hand over to Alison Miller. Hi, everyone. Um, my name's Alison Miller. I'm a GP at Ballarat Medical Centre, which is where I'm sitting now uh, on the Wadawurrung lands and I'd like to pay my respects to the elders here past, present and emerging. And I also work in the emergency department at Ballarat Health Services one day a week and in maternity outpatients um, one day a week. So after the discussion last week, um, and thanks to Belinda for that great presentation for Barwin, we've had some discussion here with uh, our emergency department, um, Pauline Chapman and Raj Sanaparidi, who are our um, leadership team, but neither are available today. And so they both said they'd send their apologies, but also in discussion with um, our great GP liaison unit, particularly Janine Rigby, who's here today, just discussing what, what, what's happening, what the Ballarat experience is. And so Janine has actually pulled this information together, just a snapshot of a week in March. So again, interesting to compare with last year, how things were and um, how we manage respiratory illness and what are we doing now in terms of managing respiratory illness and noticing also that it's March. So not particularly, but there is a virus everywhere, but knowing that things are going to change over the year. Um, one of the things that I suppose, firstly, from this slide, we can see that really 12% of symptoms are respiratory infections that are occurring over a week. So when we look at those numbers, it's probably about 150 over the week. We can see that's 20 to 25 patients a day. Um, two thirds of those are under 18. Um, and a third of all these numbers, when I've actually, it's not on this, this chart, but um, and the other data shows a third of these are really due to respiratory infections each day of people that just go home. Um, and what is interesting also is I, well, to observe is that 50% of them are in hours and 50% of them are, are after hours. And what has um, some discussion with Raj, the um, ED consultant with whom we were um, talking this week, is saying, well, what have we noticed particularly at the moment? Well, one is that there's uh, an increase in the presentations, particularly of um, paediatric cases, and a lot of those are viral, quite a bit of uh, bronchiolitis, and those, those patients um, are needing, needing to be in, in beds, um, needing swabs and needing isolation. And I suppose one of the things really to go back and say is that, well, compared to this time last year, what happens in emergency, people are triaged, they are either triaged as respiratory or non-respiratory, and if they have a respiratory symptoms, they go to the respiratory rating room or the re respiratory bays, as, as opposed to everyone else goes elsewhere. So then going back to what's happening now, there is um, one of the problems is, is that in, here we are in March, we have a full hospital, we have full peds ward, which means these people that are um, patients that are requiring um, a bed or uh, swabs or um, assessment, 
maybe needing a bed are actually spending longer time in, in, the, um, in the emergency department, which means that resources are uh, diverted to caring for these patients, which puts stress on the infrastructure and also on the staff. But then the other thing is, is that there are other patients and a number of respiratory patients who um, need to be sitting in this respiratory area. They have a long wait to be seen and there's actually often no space for them to be seen, which causes a lot of frustration uh, for, for the patients, but also for, for the, it's very difficult for the staff. So I suppose then one of the things looking at this slide is, is um, what, what may happen from here. So I think we have, at the moment, we're in a low COVID, low probability COVID time. Um, heading into winter, we're going to have uh, influenza or have other respiratory illnesses. And we also will always have to be considering that potentially there'll be COVID and in a, in a partially vaccinated population so that we can expect that there's going to be an increase in patients needing admission for respiratory illness, but also there'll be a higher presentation of patients with milder symptoms who will ultimately go home. So where to from here, and I think that's the thing that will be good to be discussing this morning, is um, our you know, options will need to be discussed um, if we can go back to that last slide, discuss, discuss with um, the hospital and emergency planning is what are we going to do? Um, I think one of the things that we all have to um, think about is that our hospitals and our general practices were built in a time that was not COVID. So they were designed, funded, staffed, planned for when there was no, where there was no COVID and we we're all having to work to this uh, change of thinking of how we're going to keep respiratory symptoms separate and certainly discussing with Raj and, and Pauline that there's, there's really going to be no, no time soon where there's going to be a change to having respiratory or non-respiratory um, areas. So one of those things is that thinking about the emergency planning, um, let me just look at my notes, um, our, our, we need to have continuity between triage and risk management that's in emergency and in a hospital, but also within general practice. And, um, and and that's going to take you know some there are options that will have to be discussed at a hospital level and we haven't really explored that any further. Um, if I can just go on to that third point that I've got there about uh, GPs providing face-to-face -face appointments, Janine did a survey of, of eight of our larger practices this week, which actually showed that you know we're already general practice is already moving to a model of care that we're all really pretty much doing the same thing where people are so doing face-to-face -face appointments. Um, but we're all screening, we're determining if face-to-face -face is needed, we're using our PPE, we're working out how, what, how we, you know, if people need swabs, how we do that. We're all having to do that with our infrastructure that's actually quite really not set up for us. So we're actually having to work really hard to do that. And then I suppose the other option that we, uh, as, as we have been discussing with um, GPLU, but also um, in emergency saying, well, is there something else that we can think of, such as a, a separate respiratory assessment clinic? Is it community-based? Is it hospital-based? How are we going to see these patients that are, that are presenting? How are we going to, able to assess them? Um, and I suppose they're the things that would be that are useful that we have to think about. Um, but we can uh, certainly I can see from general practice that we're already developing our models of care using using our infrastructure and our resources to be safe and provide provide care but it, it's a challenging time so I suppose that's um, not only the ED perspective but also the general practice perspective as, as I see it with a, a foot in in both camps really so I think part of the discussion that would be good to say what what, what are the options or what can we do um, 
is it possible or, or feasible to consider a community assessment um, a clinic for respiratory illness or how are we going to manage ongoing? So that concludes the panel presentation for this session. We'll bring you any other snippets that we can, but come along and join the discussion next week. I want to throw out to Janine Rigby. And um, Janine, I just want to bring you online to just provide a bit of a GPLU to update for Ballarat. Thanks, KP. But we'll get Janine to have a um, voice. And I noticed that actually um, Danny just put something in about their respiratory clinic. So I don't know if you were able to give an update on that as well. Thanks. Um, thanks, Bianca. So in Ballarat, um, we're waiting for the announcement of the community vaccination hub. Uh, we've been told that that should happen within the next week. So once we know that, we'll get that uh, message out to the GP community. Um, in regards to that, we've actually asked the um, vaccination, the Grampians Public Health Unit, to prioritise GPs and practice staff when that community hub opens. Um, they've indicated that they're um, very open to do that. So once we know when that's happening, we'll get the message out. Um, our GPs in our public um, residential aged care facilities have been offered vaccinations and we've had many of them now vaccinated coming up through Ballarat Health Services where our screening is taking place at this point in time. Um, in the region, um, my understanding is that we've gone everywhere. So we've been to West Wind, Maryborough, East Grampians, West Wind, Horsham, Beaufort and Skipton. So uh, there's a very big rollout in our region. We've had about, uh, I think, near close to 3,000 vaccinations have been done. Um, most of our public racks um, should be done by the end of this week. And we're looking to actually start doing the second dose of vaccinations um, with our residents. Um, over the Easter period, I've been advised that there'll be no vaccinations. Um, so we won't um, be seeing anything done there. Um, there was a little bit of chat around uh, the visor vaccination that I think with the um, second dose, it seems to be that there, um, there's some reports of more side effects. However, with the AstraZeneca, it seems to be if there's side effects, um, it appears to be after the first dose. Um, outside of that, um, everyone's busy and um, I'll throw it over to Danny if she wants to give an update um, from UFS. Oh, I've got half a second, Danny. I'll be really quick. We started vaccinating yesterday, full steam ahead, um, and lots of lessons learnt out of that, but it went uh, quite smoothly once we sorted out all of the technical issues that were beyond our control. Testing um, in Ballarat is still going strong. Yesterday they tested 152, so our books are still full of people being tested as well. So um, good luck, everyone, and stay sane. Well done. Thank you, Danny. And, and um, Paul Egan, uh, shout out, this says a shout out to um, Bellarine Respiratory Clinic for vaccinating GPs who don't have vaccination centres um, and to the, them at our Torquay. And I know Jeff um, has mentioned that for Geelong doctors, you can go to the Ford factory from next week. So you can book in through the Barwon um, system. Jeff, if you're online and you just want to pop in the chat, um, just the mechanism for doing that. So there's vaccinations for GPs who aren't vaccinating clinics to go to the Ford factory. KP, could you put up that slide for me quickly. I just want to just mention before we're out this morning that this um, brings, I guess, our weekly sessions to an end today. Um, we've made the call that we've, um, you know, it's been a fantastic ne network and I think we all really enjoy catching up on Thursday mornings, but perhaps we could move this to monthly. So we may not have as much business to um, get through weekly. Um, oh, I just found some things from the archives about our first ever session and it was on the 2nd of April 2020 where we um, came together to start talking about COVID and we've run 38 sessions plus two towns.
lockdown halls. So the team's done incredible um, work. It, it is a lot of work to bring an echo um, together. So it's a lot of work that's done outside this hour. But um, I want to thank you all for, um, this is the really the core crew and we really look forward to seeing you each week for all this uh, systems thinking and problem solving. Um, you know, we've had so many changes and so many pivots and I think we're going to still be required to do a lot of um, thinking about our models of care um, and certainly as, uh, um, you know, the year progresses. Uh, so we'll get together for a kind of a monthly catch up covering still some of these key and core issues and we're really keen to hear what's happening for you. So let's keep the lines open. Um, pro, um, you know, you just, you've got our email. Let us know what's on your mind if you think we need to get together, if there's a burning um, topic, if you want us to bring an expert speaker, uh, we'll be responsive to that. So keep the line open and, of course, just email me at bianca.forrester at westvicphn.com as well, .com.au, I think. Anyway, someone just chuck my email in the chat. I'd love to hear from you. So we're going to make it a kind of first Thursday of the month. Um, so that means it's next week. Technically, we're going to start the next series. So first um, Thursdays of the month makes it nice and easy to remember. And, of course, if you do have a burning desire, and we'd love to see, you've got a burning desire to still catch up weekly, we're going to be running Mental Health Echoes on Mondays. Now, we're going to start it at 12.45. Um, so the didactic's going to kick off before 1 o'clock and at 1 o'clock case-based discussions start. So um, 12.45 Mondays. I know Mondays are a tricky time in general practice, but if you can and you want to come and join us, we're going to be doing um, an AOD network one fortnight and a youth mental health network, the alternate fortnight. So bringing you specialists from a mental health sector um, and getting a kind of a community of practice running around the topics of AOD and youth mental health. So um, you can get in touch. I think we launched it yesterday. It's gone live so you can register and we'll be doing really nice complex case-based discussions in these echoes. So I look forward to that. Um, so thanks everyone. And I'd like to thank in particular, Alison Miller and um Janine Rigby, um, GPLU at Ballarat Health Service, and um, the team at Ballarat Medical Centre. Um, always a pleasure, and thank you so much for presenting this morning. Uh, thanks for, to Belinda Khan for joining us again, and, um, you know, thanks all for coming. Uh, all the best, and we'll see you next week.